coming to get you, Barbara. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Welcome back to Long Walk Talks. My name is Stan Wilson Lee. I'm the VP of Long Walk Productions, and I'm a, I am joined by my co-hosts, Chris Wilson Barnes and David Wilson Hensley. Thank you very much, Daniel. Today on Long Walk Talks, we are going to be continuing our Perfect Tens discussion. It is still Stan's turn. And uh, last month, we had the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This month, Stan, what Perfect Ten film are we going to be discussing? We will be discussing Cameron Crowe's 2000 film, Almost Famous. I can't believe I almost forgot. I can't believe you did either. Now, this is a film that Stan has been trying to get me to watch for literally 12 years. I remember way back in the before times of 2009, him giving me this DVD and saying, you need to watch this. And I said, sure. And I took it home and onto my dresser it went. And there it stayed for about a year. And I didn't actually give it back to you and conceit defeat until you uh until i had to move to la and i was like if you don't get this back now you're not getting it back so actually sitting down after all these years and finally watching it i was kicking myself for not watching it sooner i fucking loved this movie it literally is one of my favorite films of all time um and we'll get to the main reason why but uh uh yeah uh, i'm really glad you enjoyed it uh I hope Chris had a fairly decent time with it. Um, I am also but, here. But <laughs> yes, you are. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I, really, I, re- I really, really do love this movie. Um, and, it, uh, and I'm a big fan of the Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Say Anything, uh, Singles. All, uh, I'm re- I, I like Cameron Crowe a lot, um, but this is definitely tip-top for me in the sense. Nice. Chris, what were your thoughts? Because you saw this for the first time last night as well, correct? How did I phrase it last night? Um, I believe I said I'm watching what what would normally later be recounted on a behind-the-music-style documentary, and I don't like it. Oh. <laughs> and it makes me entirely too squeamish. Okay, so you were more uncomfortable than anything else during the movie? God, yeah. <laughs> I get that. The second-hand... Uh, discomfort and uh there were there was a lot of that throughout the movie i i having known stan as long as i have and knowing his taste in movies as well as i do i really thought that this movie was going to be a lot darker than it actually was chris what did what were your thoughts going into it for the first time i didn't have any i mean i knew about it I mean, just through, like, cultural osmosis, but I didn't really have any strong thoughts. Uh, Well, my first one is that mother is insane. Oh, yeah, but, God, Frances McDormand is so fucking good. I didn't say it was a bad performance. I'm just saying that lady's insane. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, it was the 70s. No, no, no. She's a special kind of insane. If you recall, she wanted to... She made them celebrate Christmas in September on a day she knew it wouldn't be commercialized. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
amongst uh, a litany of other it's things. It's not horribly far-fetched, though. Also, <laughs> the way she treated the daughter versus the way she treats uh, the main character. William. William, yeah. I think the way that she treats William is indicative of the fact that after the four-year time skip, she has lightened slightly. No. Mm. And I think mm. that their, their little reconciliation at the end, her and um, Anita, I, I think it speaks about the, the regret she had about the way things ended with Anita. Sure, but to say she lightened up uh, is not entirely true, considering, one, one she, how she acts throughout the movie. But two, she still she she seems based on a, on a line about when she's talking to uh, Russell, the lead singer of Stillwater, over the phone. She seems like she's tolerating this mm -hmm. because he's still going to graduate high school and go be a lawyer in her eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, but also, I just in the beginning, it just it made it clear anything the daughter did, she didn't give a shit about. But her darling genius baby boy was her world basically uh i no. I, I i tend to disagree um i she, she considered her daughter a lost cause and it was in everything she said to her up until the point the daughter leaves right because i don't think she ever thought that the daughter would actually leave i think the fact that anita actually left made an impression mm -hmm. on her i agree Stan, we're, thank you for introducing this movie to us. Chris and I are going to dominate this conversation. <laughs> That's we'll okay. see you at the end. <laughs> you well, it is my first topic. I, did, I came into this thinking that I was going to not oh, that, just go free form. And I did have, uh, but I ended up, before I left work, uh, creating somewhat of a topic list. And, but this first, what we just talked about, uh, kind of leads into what I was talking about wanting to talk about first was, is it dark enough? Is the ending too happy? Um, and I guess we just got Chris's, uh, it's like, but I didn't. Um, is it too dark in your case then? Or is it not dark enough where it should be? Or? No, it's just very heartbreakingly real. I, and yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I was relieved that it was not darker than it was. Because every opportunity that the movie had to get dark, and I think it just says a lot about me and like the kind of movies that I watch and the kind of movies that I have subject, subjected the two of you to over the last and that and you years. expect me to like. Yeah, um, every point where this movie could have gone dark, I expected like worst case scenario, like Penny's going to die, like the plane's going to crash, the band is going to break up. So it was really refreshing to me that it did end on a generally happy note. Like a, a lot of tragic things still happened, but there's a feeling of optimism at the end there that I was not expecting to get out of it. And um, yes, I agree that it's heartbreakingly real, but it's semi-autobiographical. Um, uh, this is basically Cameron Crowe's story and the fact that he, uh, you know, he kind of gives his own mother credit for being who she was because it allowed him to grow into this. And then he also had a, a minor estrangement with his sister and stuff. And they came back and they had ended up becoming a connected family again later on in life. And, um, and then the fact that he was also 16 when he went on tour with the Allman Brothers Band and started writing for him and stuff. So for Rolling Stone and... Uh, uh, he was 17 
when he got to be managing editor of Rolling Stone, you know, and uh, writing the main stories and having cover stories all, you know, all the time. But, um, and he, it's because he wrote it because he ended up having a, a ton of luck in life. And I'll there, say there was like, this was a happy ending for him. So it was like, how was he not going to give William a happy ending in the sense? Right. Um, I think semi-autobiographical is the important part yes. here. Because if you tell me that Cameron Crowe lost his virginity in a four-way with three roadies at the age of 15, I'm going to have my doubts. Um, because, I mean, what... Well, the Band-Aids are a conglomerate, and, you know, they're, they're all... But it's just like his experience over the time. And, and I, I don't know. But the thing that that was one of the things that I like about this film so much is that coming from a different generation, coming from this time, uh, this was part of my teenage world in a sense. And so it's like, man, if his life could have been that great, then my life was great, you know, like, or could have been great in that sense. And so maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And I figured out a way to get through my teenage years. Well, rose tinted glasses and all that. Right. I know it's different times and different attitudes, but I fucking hated that scene. What, the, uh, the four-way that he had with yeah, the... Yeah, the deflowering, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he didn't really want it. The girl he wanted just kind of saw what was happening and left him to it. He looked miserable. And then, I mean, yeah, sure, he got his cherry popped, but I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't see it. Huh? Much joy in, in what came of it. Well... I mean, again, I know different is. times and different attitudes. I understand that. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I feel like the scene cut away before you get to see the joy that came of it. Yeah, because, I mean, when they woke up, he was perfectly content until uh, he was asleep. Until he Stone heard, yeah, called. No, he was asleep. There's a difference. OK, <laughs> I will take umbrage with the fact that the writing on his hand somehow managed to survive all night. <laughs> a sweaty night with four people. Yeah. yeah and was still legible. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, what 15-year-old boy's fantasy... Uh, yeah, every, what I'm trying to say is every 15-year-old boy's fantasy is to lose their virginity with three attractive young women. Uh, but does, does that happen? I don't know. Maybe if you live in the world of euphoria, another, <laughs> another show that I watch and I'm like, please, God, tell me that none of this is real and this is all fiction. I don't know. I, you know, it's like, I'm not, I guess I'd leave, I, I'm not bothered by it. Um, Use your words. But it's, it's like, I, it's just rough for me because this is something that maybe feel uncomfortable now or in, in these times that this is a risky proposition to have something like that, a scene like that, or like later on when with yeah i mean do you is this down for a discussion topic or do you want to just go ahead and dive right into the problematic uh, it, it's not because i was going to go with all super positive super um fluffy shit so i was going to write a puff piece like william did oh good <laughs> I, I mean i feel like this is the appropriate time to bring it up though and it, you can't you can't talk about it through the lens of 2022 without no. talking about um, how problematic a lot of this movie is. Well, it, it's funny because you have to double filter it between one, it, it, you have to double filter it between being 
like made in 99 slash 2000 about and about an era that you know Cameron Crowe looks favorably back on in his life which was the early to mid 70s and yeah. the rock and roll scene and, uh, and that's what the rock and roll scene was going to be like back then. I understand that. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about values dissonance between not just 1975 and 2000, but also values dissonance between the time the movie was released, 2000, and today. Uh, now, and then I, then me on the other hand, also has the dissonance of coming of age at the same time. Right. You know, um, and so what you said earlier about every 15-year-old's fantasy, it was every 15-year-old's fantasy during my coming-of-age time. So it's like... Um, Spoiler alert, I'm, I'm fairly certain that is still to this day but most see, 15-year-old you, you said it But you said it with a sense of, you know, uh, that's gross, you know? <laughs> so, I, don't, I didn't get that but, from it, but okay. Um, but, but the idea that, you know, that it's tempered off it's like but no I still think it's you know I think I still think every 15 year old boy wants to have that rock and roll I think that's the fantasy of the stuff. hormones raging inside every 15 year old boy yeah exactly thank you yes granted but um as coming up in that and that Chris mentioned it coming up in the idea of rock and roll at that time that was and in this particular time of touring and lifestyle of the rock and roll famous. If anything, from all the thing. stories I've heard, uh, Cameron Crowe was very kind and tame in that yes. regard. Yes, yeah. and, and I'm certain because even in 2000, you could not really get away with the kind of ambiguity that he did in the ages of those Band-Aids. Oh, no. Right. The fact that it is never firmly established whether they are legal or not, and in fact, it's pretty heavily suggested they are all underage. With, with the exception of... At most, of they're Penny. barely legal. Yeah, with the exception of Penny, who we... Noah's 16 from, you know. Oh, does she actually finally the, confirm her age? I missed that. Yes, because they do the whole thing. So am I. No, I'm 18. So am I. Well, right, but it still leaves he, it. She he, never actually confirms how old she is in that scene. Yeah, because he goes 15 and she goes 16. You know, so it's like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I did not take that as a confirmation of her oh, age. Okay. Um, true that. Okay. But, she just wouldn't confirm going any lower. Right. She can drive, though. She's old enough to drive. Well, fuck, it was the 70s. <laughs> True that. <laughs> I mean, the amount of stories that I have heard that's like, yeah, I, I sent my five-year-old down the street in our uh, 57 Again. Chevy to pick up a yep. pack of cigarettes. But it, Here's it, a nickel. But it was L.A. Timmy. and San Diego traffic, and she was pretty good in L.A. and San Diego traffic and getting parked in, uh, you know, major arenas parking lots and stuff so she had to be pretty damn good at driving even if if she was driving underage but um but no she i'm i'm thinking she's at least 16 because he's the one that's younger and i think that's the to go back to my favorite scene with the actor who plays the younger william in the back seat 11 11 <laughs> Yeah, that poor child and that revelation. Um, I mean, like Chris brought up uh, the whole having Christmas in September thing. Well, the that, revelation that, that she's been lying to yeah, him about that, his age. That, all, that cements how insane that woman is. Yes. Yeah. She was a college professor, and um, she was 
brilliant. It was. It was fun. I know it's based on his actual mom, but it was funny to see that kind of um, that kind of that kind of overprotective parentage coming from the other side of the political spectrum, aside from conservative. Like, it's absolutely. Not, it's <laughs> it's not because she's like deeply conservative, but she's still holding up the cover of Garfunkel. Not Garfunkel. Gar- Simon, Simon, Simon and Garfunkel. I was about to do Garfunkel and Oates. Um, <laughs> Simon and Garfield. I wish you would. <laughs> just pointing at their eyes and look, they're on pot. Yes. <laughs> don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah, the, the running through line of don't do drugs and your mom really freaked me out <laughs> yes. was fantastic every time. The, See, the, the poor uh, desk clerk at the hotel with the thousand yard stare. Yeah. Uh, really played by, uh, I wish I could remember the actor's name, Cal from Modern Family. Yeah, I did, oh, I did catch right. that. Yeah. Okay, oh, let's. Uh, I'm that, sorry. I'm just stealing this from you, Stan. That's uh, number three on the list. Okay. Uh, what's what's number two before we bury um, the lead? Uh, let, uh, I, I just want to go back to what we were just... Eric Stone Street. Sorry. Eric, yes. And uh, he is great. Um, uh, and then it's followed up by Billy Crudup's version of it. It was really fun. Um, but the uh, uh, that was one thing I was scared that we would have to do tonight is do a preface that of the times and the uh, filter that we have to run this movie through. And that's one thing watching this movie that I never want to do because to me it's very super positive on all aspects. Even when things get icky, it's always out because... I would just suggest to anyone today, like younger, going to watch this movie, like do some research on what the band scene was like back then because I don't know the details, but I know that there's an infamous story about, I think it's Led Zeppelin and a catfish or stuff like that. Yeah. And the girls being sold... Yeah, yeah, I mean, but with the with the political and cultural climate the way it is now, I don't think that we could have a conversation about this movie. We'd be remiss if we oh, didn't yeah. bring up yeah. the the values dissonance, like I like I brought up. And 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 I'm good with that, the values dissonance. Um, but but I also know that it, it just makes me kind of look like a shit in a way no, because no. my my values dissonance is going to be very very. There's going to be a lot of difference because there was no. There was no forced stuff. There was, I mean, yeah, we can say that, but... I mean, yeah, and William confronts it, 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 Penny about that, too. It was, it was completely... The women in this show, the respect for women that is shown in this movie, overall, there are specific moments where the respect is negligible, but by, but by people like William and... Uh, several other characters. The women run this movie, so I just... I, I my, will agree with that to an extent, but not the extent that I think you are you mean, because William shows a lot of regard for the women in this movie by virtue of the fact that he's a hormonal 15-year-old boy, and Russell shows a lot of affection for Penny by virtue of the fact that he's a womanizing asshole... <laughs> In a relationship with an underage girl, and he is a grown-ass man. Again, they're rock stars. Um, but yeah, and that's why, that's why I'm saying is that my, yeah, Dave. My, my dissonance is going to be in a different place than y'all's different dissonance. And I don't want it to come out that I love this movie because it's just about, you know, 
rock stars and doing underage girls. I don't want that to sound like Well, that, so. because if you um, did, you would sound like Jeff Beebe in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> can I say, can I just say that um, Jason Lee just really just showing off his acting chops in this movie it's the best i've seen him but yeah. i'm mainly basing that on last year when we watched well a yeah bunch i of mean Kevin just Smith yeah just, just think about jumping from from mall rats and and all that to to this oh uh, yeah also, it's worlds different especially to think about the very next year after this movie he was in jay and silent bob strike back right oh yeah strike back was 2001 right after this uh, how long was earl after this oh that was like 2000 2004, 2005, I want so to say. So was coming out of this. So. Around uh, now, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think Jason Lee's really great in this movie. Um, but this could go with uh, number two, my number two topic. Um, again, I'm going back to I'm writing a puff piece because all my stuff about this movie, I love it so much. I think it's super positive. I am not – I can't find – the evil in it. Um, I never said there was evil but, in it. But, no. but y- you know what I'm saying. Uh, that I'm saying I, that I, from I, the I, lens I, of 2022. And, and I guess every time I watch it, I go back to 1983. <laughs> right. And I think that a lot of this is just because, I'm, because we are actively creating new content. We are all... What through the use of the podcast network, through making short films, through doing Fever, it is very important to keep your finger on the pulse of culture. Yes. Especially mm-hmm. pop culture. So if we, especially somebody as prolific as Cameron Crowe, were to make a movie in 2022, set in 2022, in which a 15-year-old kisses a 16-year-old who is ODing on Quaaludes after what would now be called slut-shaming her... That movie, I don't think, would make it to theaters anymore. It'd be way darker and be treated a lot differently. Yeah. It would be a Larry Clark film, I guess. But even that, that was earlier than expected. That pop, kids could be made now, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, um, but anyway, I'm going to go back to the Puff Bees. Uh-huh. Uh, my second topic, who is your favorite Stillwater member? And going from there, who is your favorite Band-Aid? Oh boy, Chris, why don't you go ahead with this one first? Who was the blonde guy that barely said three words? Uh, the bass player? The bass player. Yeah, he might have been my favorite because he didn't say much to, <laughs> to make me not like him as a person. Except uh, that, was one of my, that was one of my complaints when watching the movie, is, or I, I put that in the chat, was um, there are just so many people who just are working very hard to make me not like them in this movie. Yeah, primarily Jeff and yeah. Russell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the drummer. Uh, we're also like Chris said actively doing the least to make me hate him and also having the best comedic moment of the entire movie is it the I'm gay moment yes (laughs) on the plane where he admits he's gay yeah and then they immediately come out of turbulence (laughs) (laughs) just the the deadpan way he reaches over the perfect button to that joke we're alive thank god (laughs) yeah Um, as far as the band-aids go I have a heart I I, I have to say um Sapphire, if it was a Balk's character. That's mine too. Because she's the only one that we know for sure is of age. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say. Well, that, and on top of that, when William's mom calls him in the hotel and she answers it, she, tries to, she tries to reassure her. Mm-hmm. 
And on and then later on, she's the person who gives uh, Russell the the talking yes. he needs about after everything that happened. Yes, and she gets the best line of the movie. Her last line when she is talking about uh, how it's how how it's possible to love something so silly so much, and I feel like that one line that you love it so much that it hurts. Yes, that it hurts. I feel like that one line sums up fandom of all kinds, whether it's music, movies, video games, oh, the, just any of the shit that we talk about on this podcast, that's the perfect summation of why that, we all do what we do. That, that's something that you know, you, that a creator can forget about their fans. That that's why they, they, they love the thing you've made so much. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think that Penny had the second best moment to me was as the Band-Aid when Russell calls her asking to see her. And yes. I didn't. I didn't notice it at first because you know there was right before that is the scene where William and his sister come home. Yeah. And it took. I still even then enough happened to distract me from the fact that she gives him William's address. Yes. Yes. And in fact, I watched her pick up her address book. Yeah. And I it all I could think about how was how fucking weird it was that she needed her address <laughs> book to give Russell her address. Yeah. And so then as soon as she he as Russell showed up at uh, William's house, I was like, okay, all Hello, right. Penny. Hello, Penny. Hello, Penny. And the thing is, only William knows Penny's name. Yes. Real name. Lady. Oh, man, I wasn't going to give her away. But <laughs> Lady, um, what's her last name? Um, what, what was it, Lady Goodman? Lady Goodman. Lady Goodman. Lady yeah, Goodman. something like that. <laughs> Uh, maybe not Goodman. I don't remember. I, it, it I would hear that. I would believe Penny Lane over Lady Goodman as a real name. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, uh, um, just her sense of thanks to William for saving her and that that's her. Oh, I was right. I'm sorry. It is Lady Goodman. It is Lady Goodman. And that's her thank you to William is. That's not that a real she, name. That she's going to tell him her. And he's like, your name is Lady. <laughs> just the fact that he's just so surprised by it. I think we all were. Yes. Um, I, for my favorite Stillwater, I'm going to go also with the drummer, even though I'm a huge fan of Billy Crudup as Russell in this, but as, as he does both, he sets off the uh, tiny dancer moment by playing the drumsticks on his legs. And then he also does his button for the plane crash or the plane going down moment. Um, those two moments in itself and the guy the guys who play the bass player and the drummer they're actual they're they were the actual band uh for Stillwater they, they were actual musicians that were brought into the movie to actually you know set the band right as the rhythm section so just the idea that he was setting the pace for those moments um he's fantastic uh and he's fantastic all the way through the movie, even though he doesn't say much except for those two scenes. But all the way through, he is, he's in the moment. And I will uh, say I also like their manager a the, lot. Uh, yes. Uh, no, uh, oh, oh, shit, what's his last name? Um, we all have tiny computers. Uh, yeah, I could just keep going. Uh, uh, he ended up growing up to be a major actor. Uh, that would come later. My favorite Band-Aid also is... Noah Tyler? Taylor? Noah, Noah Taylor. Yeah. There we go. Um, is also Sapphire for Ruse Balk, uh, but for different reasons because 
Feruza Balk was actually, along with Anna Paquin maybe, and definitely um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who we haven't talked about yet. But, uh, He's not a Band-Aid. But no, but the idea that those were the people that I came to this movie most excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm a huge fan of Feruza Balk, I love her in everything. I think she's just fantastic. Um, but also, I agree with y'all with her moments, which are, she's, she starts the moments with, you know, who's Opie? And goes, and from that point on, uh, she has all the, I don't even know what you would call it, the, the, the integral moments especially with the band to say what's happening. And she's like always there to summarize the moments and she does it so well. Um, and her, when she tells Russell about what happened with William and, and uh, Penny, just how she was using it. It's like, you fucked up, man. And uh, uh, William, William's God, you know, it's like compared to you, uh, William's way, way awesome, and he's not even that cool, <laughs> you know. And uh, you're supposed to be the cool one. And but yeah, but anyway, but yes, uh, Sapphire is great. I do love myself, uh, love me some Anna Paquin in that, and also um, uh, Bijou Phillips plays the one that is the star child, and she's fun. But uh, but it's Feruza Balk for me. Can I say I felt the most for the mom? during the phone call where where Bijou Phillips' character is ta- is talking over him mm-hmm. into the phone. <laughs> and she's just, just everything she hears is just confirming her worst suspicions yes. Yes. ever. <laughs> I love you! <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of phones, this movie has the best phone work. I know how much you hate <laughs> characters on phones. I hate characters on phones. The only person that could do it well is uh, Juli- uh, Julianne Moore. She does phone really well. But and Frances McDormand. Now Frances McDormand. Um, as I, this movie is full of phone acting, and they all do so well, especially Frances McDormand and Feruza Balk have the best phone moment I've ever seen. Uh, so, uh, so phone acting is great in this movie. I can't believe we've gone three and a half years without ever bringing up how much you hate phone acting on this show. <laughs> I hate Honestly, phone I'd, acting. I'd probably be just as likely to side with him. Yeah, I mean, it is a necessary evil sometimes, but I mean, with, with the last like 15 years and the fact that we can just have texts pop up on screen now, sure. it's kind of been phased out. You don't see a lot of prolonged characters on the phone moments anymore. That's fine. I prefer it via text now because of just the old staple of no one ever says goodbye on a, on a phone call in a movie. Nobody ever says hello on a phone call in a movie either. <laughs> Talk but, to me. Yeah, that's, that's a whole other topic for another day. Stan, <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your number three? Um, my number three is, and this, it, it's very uh, out there, so it... Uh, don't, you don't necessarily have to go with the words that I've used, but... Um, I'd prefer not to, in fact. <laughs> uh, which actor, or who were you most surprised by, uh, actor-wise, in the film? Was there somebody that stood out and just like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen, or is there a specific um, actor giving a specific performance that just like, oh, wait, that was unexpected, or anything like that? 
Chris, do you want to take this one or do you want to give it a minute? Uh, I need a minute if you want to okay. jump in. Uh, so my, my answer to this question is going to be all over the road. Uh, most surprised by, I was most surprised after the fact when I looked on IMDb and discovered that Mitch Hedberg was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he was one of the roadmen. I didn't find out that after the fact. Too. Yeah, did not fucking catch that. There were so many cameos in this movie. Um, you talked earlier about Mark Maron and stuff. Fucking Mark Maron yeah. did not did not realize that was him playing the guy at the... Uh, yelling the, them. Yeah, yelling oh, the them. Event. Oh, the, electrocu- the, the one yeah. where he got electrocuted. Where Russell gets electrocuted, yeah. You want to buy a fence? <laughs> Um, oh God. I mean, I can't really say that I was surprised by him because you, you go into every Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, just expecting greatness out of him, I think. Uh, but him as Lester Bangs, it was such a different performance than I'm used to seeing or was used to seeing from Philip Seymour Hoffman. I loved every scene that he was in. You want to talk about fucking phone acting. Yes. After him and William's first interaction, That's everything after yep. that is all phones. Yep. And he crushes. We're not cool. Yeah, he crushes the we're not cool scene. Exactly. It might yeah. it might be my favorite scene in the movie. Um You made uh, friends with him, didn't you? <laughs> and God, it's hard not to fall in love with Penny Lane. It's not, it's hard to not get back into that uh, adolescent boy falling in love with every girl you meet kind of mindset when you are watching her and William interact. Kate Hudson is beautiful in this movie. She, she really is. Um, it, I mean, that's, it was her stepping stone and I don't know if she's done anything as even as close to good as this, but, um, but she's been in a lot of stuff, but uh, she's really great. Fucking Jay Barichell as uh, the Led Zeppelin super fan. The first time he came up, I was like, well, that looks like a little bitty baby ver- version of uh, Jay Barichell. Oh, oh holy shit. shit, that's actually him. <laughs> well, he was so fucking young in this movie. Yeah, he was. And perfect uh, for that uh, character, for, for that being okay. that did, is there. Did I miss something, like an introductory scene, or does he just show up when... He, he was with the crowd when they check in at the first hotel. That's what I yeah. thought. He he's, just sort of appears and starts talking about Zeppelin. He's by the elevator talking about who he met. Oh, okay. And then he just kind of kind of tra- walks along with them. Because gotcha. Zeppelin signed his shirt. Yeah. Fantastic. Robert Plant signed his Robert, shirt. Yeah. Robert Plant signed his shirt. Yeah, and then, yeah, then he, since he recognizes William later, he runs up to him. Yeah. And, and his whole idea of communicating, it's all happening, it's all happening, <laughs> pointing his marker, and, and then he gets to the message. You know, oh, yes, uh, the Band-Aids are staying at so-and-so under the name Emily Rugburn. It's all happening. You know, just his delivery of... Um, and again, this, these are, most of these specific characters are composites of people that Cameron Crowe wrote about or right. grew up with or was around at, during this time. And, uh, but supposedly that character is very, 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 very specific. And uh, a lot of that is based on one guy that did the Grateful Dead for oh, I buy that. Led Zeppelin. I buy yeah. that entirely. You cannot be that specific about a characterization without thinking of somebody. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris, before you go, I have one more thing sure. I'd like to say, which yeah. is I think the most underappreciated actress in this movie has to be whoever it was that played Russell's wife. 
Yes. Because she had so much to do in so little screen time, and she sold it every single scene, every single facial expression. That dinner, when Russell won't stop staring at Penny is so uncomfortable to watch. And they she just with? learned they were on the cover. Yeah. And, uh, oh, they're gonna, yeah, they were going to get the cover. Who's she with? Who's she with? Uh, me. Me, me. <laughs> 14 me's. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, sorry, Chris. Uh, what were well, your thoughts? I, I, I don't think I've seen a lot. Mine is going to be short because I don't think I've seen a lot with Billy Crudup in it, but I thought he did really well as Russell. Um, I really enjoyed his performance, and I love Jason Lee because he was absolutely everything you expect out of a out of a guy like that, a oh, '70s frontman. Yeah, I, 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 no, you did say you liked Jason Lee. Yeah, you just didn't yeah. like. No, it's a, Beebe. I, oh God, no. <laughs> no, Jeff Beebe <laughs> was detestable. Yeah, through and through. Asshole. Like, I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really like the character Hoffman played, but Hoffman acted it very well because I've met people like that. And and the thing. I, to go back to Lester Bangs, Lester Bangs was never considered one of the most, was never considered a sympathetic writer um, or, you know, there's a lot of people that hated him. And the fact that I, the, Philip Seymour Hoffman allowed him to be super sympathetic was just great. Well, the conflict of this movie just seems overall being, you know, what, what do you believe in, rock and roll as a concept or the people that are in it? Right. Mm-hmm. And, Don't make yeah. friends. Never meet your heroes. Never meet Essentially, your heroes. Essentially, yes. Yep. And um, who else was I thinking of? Um, there's just so many great little small performances. Like I said, I love the guy playing the manager. Surprising in a literal sense was I did not expect to see Jimmy Fallon walk into this movie. Oh, um, God, no. I was surprised. And then I was like, I see what they're going for. And then I was like, he's miscast. <laughs> and, uh he lacked, a, I, he lacked a harder edge to that character that needed to be there. Like, I get that he was trying to be saccharine sweet and trying to win them over and, like, yeah, but there also needed to be, like, a turn where he's, like, trying to whip these guys into shape as well. I, when the first time I saw this back, back forever ago, I would have had, I had the same reaction. After four or five times of seeing it, um... And, and and having grown up and know people like that, yeah, I, I ended what? up because because it ends up being the um, uh, the the smartest person in the room is actually the dumbest, but get, we have to actually listen to him. Well, I get that too because his whole deal is okay. Yeah, you got the chops. Now, don't you want to make money? Yeah, and, that, and yeah, I, I get that. Very thing. much a used car salesman oh, personality. Yeah. And then he gets his comeuppance with killed the plane guy. crash. <laughs> Oh my God! Please tell me that we're going to talk about that plane scene, Stan. Is that one of the discussion topics? Um, not specifically, but let's go because uh, because um, we did get to talk that's, about Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's got to be so based on the Skinner plane. It is. Which it's is, it's, I knew it's it. totally based. When I was on the watching, Skinner, that, I was like, Oh my God! Uh, idea. But again, he doesn't finish it by having people get killed. Oh in no, plane no! Crash. I thought there it was a moment, being, but yeah, it ends up being super positive at the end, but brilliant ironically it was when the drummer went um <laughs> fuck it i'm gay fuck that it. i was like oh this this movie isn't gonna end with all the main characters dying in a plane crash <laughs> that that was the moment god just wanted that guy to admit publicly what he's been hiding for so long. uh honestly one of the most well-crafted sequences it i really have seen is. in a movie in a while i i yes um that that scene um, 
that scene in particular, and then the bus scene after the Golden God moment. Um, and again, it goes That's back really to the drummer yeah. doing setting up and then finishing the second one. Um, those two scenes, and they're in moving, I don't know, uh, uh, confined situations, mm -hmm. and all these act characters forced to be together and confronting issues on both on both moments and and then s those are my favorite scenes and the they're movie. they're paralleled in the fact that after russell runs off to the party and they bring him back and they thought you know he was he might not be coming back and he does there's this moment of peacemaking where they're like we're going to smooth this over and mm -hmm. get through it and then and the, when they think the plane might be crashing, Russell shouts out, I didn't say it enough, but I love you guys. And everyone goes, fuck you. Yes. Two very similar scenes with very different outcomes. Um, Christ, Jason Lee's best moment in that movie is when he's finally had enough. And he's like, I don't fucking love you. Nobody, Nobody fucking loves you. Loves you. <laughs> like... You, moments you should not be laughing at, but that scene was so darkly humorous. And just all the confessions, like Chris brought up Jimmy Fallon being like, I, I was I, in a hit and run. I hit a guy with my car. I kept going. I don't know if he's <laughs> alive, alive or dead. dead yeah. I don't know if he's alive or dead. Oh, yeah, Christ. And um, uh, Je Jeff Beebe going, you know, it's like, I've been, I've been fucking your wife. Since <laughs> and I'm in love with you. Yeah. Oh. And she's like, what? Uh, Jeffrey, shut up. J Jeffrey from Russell. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Those, both of those scenes are um, pure gold. And we'd be, I'd be remiss to say, and... and well, that, that, I'm oh, sorry, that with the co-pilot co every so often going, it's getting rough, and then he's like, you would give updates real quick. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. and then at the end, it's like, we're going to make it, thank God. Slam. Slam. I just said I'm gay. <laughs> um... I'm totally in agreement with, uh, with you, David, about the, the craftsmanship on this movie. Um, and, and I'm not sure how familiar you all are with his other films, um, especially beforehand, but like between, from the time of Fast Times, the Regiment of High, which he didn't direct, but he wrote, and he was on set all the time, uh, and Say Anything, which was his directorial debut with John Cusack, uh, and another great movie, um, and a great moments. Um, uh, just the sense of what he taught himself from being a music journalist to being a writer of film and then actually writing it and directing it, and just the sense of craftsmanship he had throughout, especially with Almost Famous and his love of every scene that was going to involve. Okay, but I have to talk about the fact that I just discovered two very upsetting things on Cameron Crowe's uh, IMDb profile. One is that Cameron Crowe directed We Bought a Zoo. Yes. <laughs> two, We Bought a Zoo. I said we're doing a puff piece. <laughs> uh, we Bought a Zoo came out in 2011. It's been 11 years since that. When uh, I'm, I'm going to go into full existential meltdown mode because I was still under the opinion that We Bought a Zoo was like four or five years ago, <laughs> not 11. Oh, but also I've only ever, oh, the, of his movies I've, that he's directed, I've only seen Vanilla Sky. Oh, no, I've seen and Jerry, Jerry Maguire. Maguire right? 
Uh, and I'm a Vanilla Sky apologist because I actually really like that movie. Um, I I like, but having knowing the original, the Spanish version, uh, is a bit superior. But for for a remake, an American remake, yes, I I also enjoy Vanilla Sky. Um, if we really want to torture Chris, that's what we should do next. Just switch up your list and put Vanilla Sky Vanilla on there. Vanilla Sky and singles. <laughs> I don't know about singles, but I can just imagine Chris having to hate watch Vanilla Sky. Have you seen it? I don't want to hate anything you guys give me to watch. I mean, it's like just, but just from the sound of it based on this, I, I feel like Cameron Crowe would be very hit and miss with me. Uh, he's a, just, just judging by his filmography, he's very um, hit and miss with me. Because he, he also did Elizabeth Town yep. with, uh, oh God. with uh, Legolas. So, ah, um, the which, origin of the n- manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, not Orlando Bloom with yes. Legolas. <laughs> which I, I was remiss in overlooking Zoe Deschanel's turn as, as William's sister. He, she did yes. a great job. I, yes. I she, really enjoy her in this movie. She was so fucking adorable, too, when she showed up at the end as a stewardess. I was looking at yeah. that outfit and her hair, and I was like, you are too fucking cute for this world. Plus, I enjoyed the fact that she, when she showed up, it was, like, it was like her mom was totally wrong. She made the decision to get out on her own was the best decision. Yeah. <laughs> And their reconcilement at the end was really touching. I forgive you. I didn't apologize. <laughs> and then they crack up. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, Sam, what, uh, what's the last one you got there for us? Did you have a fourth? Um, did I do my most surprise? I, I didn't do. I don't know if you did or not. Um, no. I would have to go with... Um, you know, I, I don't know uh, because I loved everybody. You've seen this four uh, times, and this is uh, your topic. Probably Patrick Fugit, um, being having to carry a movie, his first movie, all the way through, and um, just going with it and mm-hmm. doing it. I, I love Patrick Fugit in this movie. I don't know how much he's done. Uh, I know he did a couple um, Criminal Minds episodes, but uh, um, but he's really great in this film. Uh, he plays William. Right. If, if we haven't figured that out yet, um, uh, and also the actor that plays him as a young as a young kid, mm-hmm. fantastic. His first moment is coming out of a theater talking about To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. You know, and Boo Radley, and to have that your first moment on camera, and with Francis McDormand. Yeah. You know, and then having the whole revelation of how old he is in the backseat of a car. Wonderful. Kid is great. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm really surprised. Uh, my big thing was being really surprised how well uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman made Lester Bangs seem like a real, a heartfelt person and not the weird um, uh just creepy guy that we read about in cream magazine right uh who i was a fan of his writing but i didn't i never knew him as a cuddly fellow and as a a friendly fellow it was always he was always being attacked by either other writers or he's other always being attacked and i read him i read him a lot i read cream his stuff in cream so much and uh but he was always being attacked from both sides well, he uh, definitely seems like the kind of guy who should not be allowed to hang out with or talk to a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> but he was a perfect teacher. Yeah. Ends up being a perfect teacher. And I believe that's about Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, bringing him to this point where once they got into, we're friends now, and I'm your mentor. It was literally, we both realized we're not cool, and we realized that together, so we can be truthful with each other. And that was another big thing about the film for me is the whole idea of be honest. Right. Um, and so much honesty is in this movie about the lifestyle. Um, which takes me into the fourth topic. And this is kind of just for me, kind of, um, but I'd like to hear your guys' take on it if it helped you. Because um, I know both of you are, are, are music fans like me. So, and again, just okay, this. Just get to the topic. What are we talking um, about? Does it make you love music's impact on the world any more or any less? Uh, I'm going to have to go with break even. I love it. I love music as much as I did before this movie. Chris? Uh, this is why you divorce art from artist. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Yes. Because I could, you know, thankfully this isn't about a real band because I could have gone my whole life about learning any of, the, any of this about anybody. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's a big, uh, it's the movie version of a behind the music special from VH1. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, no, I... Do I love music any more or less because of the movie? No. Well, it just reinforced my opinions on appreciating art. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the way, again, how hard you love what you love and how we don't really pick what we love. We latch onto yes. something because we love it. Yes. That's really what the movie said for me. And embodied in Jay Baruchel. Yes. 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 <laughs> embodied in everyone, really. It's all happening. It's oh, all yeah. happening. Um, for me, um, like I said, I was, before I got into whatever theater, films, whatever, I always wanted to be a rock star. Um, you? I wanted to be traveling on a bus or on a plane, just going from show to show, and, or, or at least being at and and so the idea and so when i finally saw this movie it reinforced all the idea and by the time i saw it i was already entrenched in my career as as an actor director whatever um but uh but the idea that a show isn't a show without some sort of music going on and i'm always for me um so the idea that I'm always getting impacted by rock and roll in some way or, or like hardcore country or even jazz and stuff, but the idea that the sense of sound and the sense of people playing for their heart and for their emotions is very important to me. And there's a line in this movie, it's at the very end, and it kind of sums up everything about... Uh, William finally gets his interview with Russell um, after Russell's gone and uh, talked to Rolling Stone and said, well, what I lied about, I didn't lie about. So it's like, here's the truth. And whatever R William wrote, it's the, it's the fact. So he ended up giving, getting his cover. And, he, and, he, and Penny sets up the play date between them. And uh, so William finally gets his interview with Russell. And he goes, finally sits down. He puts the microphone in his face and goes, 
What is it that you love about music? Billy Crudup, as Russell picks up the chair that he was just sitting in regularly, picks it up, turns it around so the back is facing, and he's straddling the chair with his hands on the back of the chair and his face right there in the microphone goes, everything. And then it just goes to the bus. Right, to the last montage. To the last montage. No more planes tour. No more planes tour. Yes, that was one of my favorite jokes (laughs) in the whole movie. The no more planes tour. And uh, that every time that happens, whenever I watch this movie, um, I, I, I repeat that as they're saying it, I'm saying it. And so the idea that it's representative of everything, like you said, about uh, both pop culture and culture as a whole and the, why we do this, um, this art thing that we do, uh, it's all culminated in that sense. So the idea that it's always going to be reminding me and every time I'm reminded about the impact of music and of art in general, that's always going to enhance it more and more and more. So it does become more important to me in a sense. Tangential, tangentially. Tangerinely? Tangerinely. <laughs> let's, I can't speak, so let's go with closely related to your question. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how much sleep I have missed out on in my life because before I go to bed, I will usually put my headphones in, go outside, smoke a cigarette, finish whatever alcoholic beverage I'm drinking, and then go to bed. But if things don't time out just right, if I am in the middle of a cigarette when a song ends, well, then the next song has to go. But if my cigarette runs out before that song is over or I'm going to finish my drink, well, then fuck, I have to let this song end. And I will just, I will sit outside for an hour or more when I should have gone to bed just on a loop waiting like the circumstances have to be just right. I need to, my, my ritual has to be complete. This is the cookies and milk problem. You, you, you have cookies and milk and you eat all the cookies, but there's still a little bit of milk left. Right. So you need to have another cookie. Right. But then you finish the milk and now you're out of, you, you, but you can't have a cookie without a milk. Yeah, exactly. So much missed sleep and I always regret it, but I'll, invariably, if a song is still going, well, fuck it. I'll just go and make myself another drink. And I'll that's just not light even another a, cigarette. That's not even a tangential thing. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about in the sense that it, it's so important to us. And like Starfires, or Sapphire says, you know, about it just, you love it so much, it hurts. And if, if it doesn't work out right, you just keep making it get to the point where it's not going to hurt as much, but it still hurts because you love it so much, you know, so sort of related I do I do go on rabbit holes like that too where it's like I, I want I just decide I want to hear something specific and I can't quite find it so I will just spend I don't know how long either on my iPod or just on YouTube I was just like this is close no but I want to hear something more like this <laughs> sort of sort of and I was just I'll speed through like I I, I have oh, so many songs on my iPod and I'll just speed through it's like that's not the thing I want to hear right now right well, thank you, Stan, for introducing us to this movie, and I'm sorry that it took, having, it took doing this podcast to get me to finally watch it, but I'm glad I did, so thank you. You're welcome. Uh, what movie are we going to be talking about next month, Daniel? I want to say uh, the next film, is, I'm leaving America, and we're going to... Oh, that's right, yes, they're putting you on a boat and sending you out to <laughs> we're sea. We're going to Korea. <laughs> and, for uh, the next two months, right? For the, for the next two months, yes. Um, so in March, it, um, and, and I'm actually going to 
be coming back from <laughs> being at sea, but going to Korea. But um, it's going to be uh, the host. Um, and it's the same director as Parasite. So Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. Uh, thank you. And um, uh, it's one of his earlier films. Um, and then we'll do April and finish off with Old Boy. Chandler Very Park. nice. All right. Well, uh, you may notice we got this episode out rather early this month because the next couple of weeks are going to be very busy for us um, individually. Uh, but uh, hopefully, if things work out next week, uh, we'll be recording another episode, a new episode of This is a Takeover with uh, Shelby Deathray Patterson and Gina Bless Your Heart Belmont so that they can talk about NXT's Vengeance Day. I get the feeling it's, gonna, it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> Probably not, no. Uh, so you have that to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Stan, if people want to reach out to you online, where can they do that at? Uh, give me a call on my landline telephone using the using the spinny thing it's a rotary it's a rotary the rotary phone yes using the rotary dial and uh dial all 10 numbers yes 10 numbers just dial one two zero one two three <laughs> call, call klondike five four three two yes. yeah well, that was a weird answer, but thank you, Stan. Uh, Chris, if people want to reach out to you online, where can they do that at? They can I find get me, good phone. They can find me at inter- uh, on the Internet's premier cesspool that is Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's Chris the OK. Fantastic. If you want to reach out to me or follow me online, the best place to do that at is on Instagram. My handle is at dbhensley. If you want to keep up with Long Walk Productions, you can visit us online at longwalk.us or search for Long Walk Productions and Long Walk Podcasts on Facebook. To see more of our original work or hear past episodes that are no longer streaming, you can follow the YouTube links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoy the show or any of the shows on this network, please make sure to leave us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. Peace out. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. Ha, ha, ha.